There's a famous quote, and this time I'm going to try to get it right. You can fool, you can fool some of the people all of the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. Not quite sure who originated that quote. One possibility was Abraham Lincoln. But regardless of who first said it, I think it's a pretty good thought. You know, every one of us, when we were very little, began to develop the ability to deceive. Started when we were just toddlers and we knew we weren't supposed to put our hand in the cookie jar. But mom wasn't in the room. In fact, she was in the other side of the house. And so we knew that we could sneak over there and we could quick grab a cookie, put the lid back on, go over in the corner and eat it, and she would never know. Now what is that? That's nothing more than the sin that is in all human nature coming out. Through intentional disobedience and deception about it. And the truth is that there are many Christians who are very good at deceiving too. In fact, some have even deceived their own selves as James 1 talks about. We're good at deceiving other people about our sin. And when it comes to our sin, the truth is we can fool all of the people some of the time. And we can fool some of the people all of the time. And even if it were true, which it isn't, but even if it were true that we could fool all of the people all of the time, there is one who you and I could never fool about our sin. And that is God. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, the Lord said, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. I want to preach to you a message tonight entitled, You Can't Hide It. Heavenly Father, Please bless tonight as we look at your holy word. Pray for the Holy Spirit's help and power. As I preach the truth and as those who are here tonight receive it, that you would minister the word to our hearts for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. I want you to turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 7 tonight. And I want to look at a familiar story from the Old Testament that illustrates that truth of Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's the story of Achan. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites finally get into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. You may remember 
That 40 years was a punishment for their unbelief and their rebellion against God. After that whole generation that had rebelled against God died in the wilderness, God finally allowed the children of Israel to enter the promised land, and the very first place that they fought was at a place called Jericho. Jericho was a very well-fortified city, had massive walls around it that was nearly impenetrable. And so God had a brilliant military strategy for them. Walk around at one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day, walk around at seven times and then shout real loud. Now, from a military standpoint, that's not a great strategy. But see, God wanted to use this as an illustration from, for the Israelites from the very beginning that the victories that they would win in conquering the promised land would not be because of their power or their might. It would be because of God's power and God's might. And so God delivered Jericho into their hands. The walls came a-tumbling down. And they went into the city and they ransacked it and they destroyed everyone. And they were supposed to dedicate everything there to the Lord. None of it was to be spoils for themselves. However, there was one man who, though he got the instructions, chose to disobey. And that man was named Achan. And look at Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. One man in an army of over 600,000 that we know of, just one man sinned. Now we would look at that percentage and say, they're doing pretty good. If only one out of 600,000 obeyed God's, or, or only one disobeyed, that's not too bad. Well, God thought otherwise. Because God expects His people to be holy. And holiness is not a matter of degrees or percentage. It's an all or nothing. And so one man had broken God's law, God's rule. Only nobody knew about it but him. The next fight was to take place at a city called Ai. Ai was apparently not a very large city, didn't seem like much of a threat, and so Israel said, we're just going to send 3,000 men. And they went and they attacked uh, the city of Ai, and the Bible says that it was an absolute defeat for the Israelites. Verse 5, the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. Here they just experienced one of the greatest victories of all time and followed immediately by one of the most infamous defeats. And obviously Joshua was distressed. He didn't know why this had happened. He was unaware of what Achan had done. 
And so he goes to the Lord, he falls down on his face, he stays there all day long, and he cries out to the Lord, and he basically says, God, what are you doing? Did you bring us here to kill us? What are people going to say when they hear that your, your people are being defeated? And look at verse 10, the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. Isn't that interesting? It says in verse 1 that Achan sinned. But in verse 10, God says Israel, the whole nation, sinned. Never underestimate the effects of your sin on others. A lot of times we think it's my sin, it's my problem, I'll deal with it. No, your sin affects far more people than just you. In this passage, already we see that 36 men died in the battle with Ai. That's 36 men that didn't have to die, that died because Achan sinned. But it's not just those men that died. What about their families? Some of them maybe had wives, children, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, and an entire nation was discouraged because of one man's sin. And so God says to Joshua, get up. Israel has sinned. It's time to deal with the problem. And so they gather the nation of Israel together. God says that you can't stand before your enemies until you get this right. You've got to sanctify the people and say to them, verse 13, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there's an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. And so then God took them through this process that ultimately resulted in Achan being singled out and receiving the death penalty. And not just him, but also his family. I want you to notice with me about Achan's sin here. First of all, his iniquity. The Bible says that he took of the accursed thing in verse number 1. God said, don't take any of the spoils from Jericho. That is not yours. That all belongs to me. Look at verse 21. Here is Achan's confession. He says, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. I want you, what I want you to notice about Achan's sin here is that this is a willful sin. Okay, this is not a sin of ignorance. It is possible to sin because you just were unaware. But that's not the case here. Achan knew what he was doing was wrong and he did it anyway. Now, what, what was his sin exactly? Well, it's actually multifaceted. Think about this with me. First of all, it's a sin of disobedience. God said, don't do it, and he did it. So right there, disobedience. He has broken God's law. Not only that, it's a sin of greed and a sin of covetousness. In fact, he confesses that he coveted after it. He looked at it, and it was, it was material things that he wanted. It was, it was these nice garments. It was this silver and this gold. And he looked at it, and he wanted it. He coveted it. It was greed. It was covetousness. But then very closely connected with that, it was a sin of discontent. It was all rooted in the idea that he needed more. What he had wasn't enough, and he needed that in order to be happy. He needed that in order for life to be fulfilled and life to have full meaning. It was a, it was a sin of discontent. It was a sin of deception. 
He took it and he hid it. Buried it in the ground. I mean, he didn't just like, you know, shove it in a cabinet somewhere, or put it in his bag. He went through all the effort of digging a hole under his tent, covering it up, and trying to make it look like nothing ever happened. I mean, he was intentional about his deception. But there's another aspect here of his sin, and that is it was a sin of impatience. Look over in chapter 8, verse number 2. I want you to notice this. Had Achan just waited until the very next battle, he would have had God's permission and blessing to take all the spoils he wanted. Notice Joshua 8 and verse number 2. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst to Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey for yourselves. God says we're going to do the same thing to Ai that we did to Jericho, only this time you get to keep the stuff. If Achan had just waited till the very next battle, he would have had those things. See, Achan's sin was a willful sin of disobedience and greed and discontent and covetousness and deception and impatience. And he knew, he knew that it was wrong. How do we know that he knew? Because he hid it. Look, you don't hide something unless you feel guilty about it and don't want to be find out, found out, right? The fact that he went to such lengths to keep anybody from knowing tells us he knew it was wrong. That was his iniquity. Notice, secondly, his opportunity. So they have this battle, and it's a great defeat. Word gets through the camp. We've been defeated at Ai. What are we going to do? Joshua and the elders are praying right now. What's going to happen to us? Are we going to be able to win? Are we going to be able to fight anymore? Are we done for? And then all of a sudden they gather the people back together. And the Bible tells us that they got everybody together. In verse 16, Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And they began to go through this process where they were going to whittle down and find out who was responsible for this. And so the Bible says that all the tribes of Israel came through and the tribe of Judah was taken. That's the tribe that Achan was in. Now put yourself in Achan's position here. I think we're pretty safe in assuming he knew what was going on. I don't think we're reading anything into the text here. And here it's been announced, you know, there's an accursed thing in the camp. We've got to get rid of it. So all 12 tribes gather together. And there's a couple million people all grouped together in 12 little chunks. And God says, all right, Judah. Now you're Achan. Whoa, that's my tribe. There was a one out of 12 chance that your tribe would be picked. You probably went into that thinking, you know what? Very unlikely they're going to pick my tribe. Oh, they picked my tribe. You know right there, you know what that was? That was the grace of God. You know what God could have done? He could have said to Joshua, God was talking to Joshua here. We've read it. God could have said to Joshua, it's Achan, go get him, take care of it. God could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he went through this process and the tribe of Judah is is picked. And you know what that was? That was an opportunity for Achan to repent. Right then and there, he could have stopped the whole proceeding. He could have come forward and he said, Joshua, it's me. I did it. I took the accursed thing. But he didn't do that. They began to go through the tribe of Judah. Notice this. 
family of Judah. Uh, they took the family of the Zarhites. So here's Judah. It's got all of these different family groups in it. Probably, I don't know, let's just say 50 for sake of argument. I'm sure Achan's probably thinking to himself, okay, all right, that was just a lucky guess that they picked Judah. But there's like 50 other families here. There's no way they're going to pick my family. Zarhites, oh, that's my family. You know what that was? That was God giving him another opportunity to repent because now it's getting a little closer. But does he? No. And Achan's probably thinking, all right, two lucky guesses. No way they're going to get three in a row, right? Just not going to happen. That's statistically impossible. Roll the dice a thousand times. Not going to happen. And they go down through the different family heads of the men of the Zarhites, and Zabdi was taken. Uh-oh. Because that's the next level closer to Achan and his family. Guess what this third time was? It was another opportunity from God to Achan to repent. But he didn't. And so now they're going family by family by family by family. I'm in Achan's shoes. I'm sweating right now. I'm worried. Why didn't he just say, stop, it's me, I did it. Now, we could speculate a million reasons why he did not do it, but the fact is he didn't. And they went family by family by family by family by family. Now, let's just say he was fifth in line. I don't know. The first family comes up. Joshua's standing there. Mm, nope, not you. You can go. Family number two. Maybe Aiken's thinking, oh, please, please, please let him pick them. Nope, not family two. You can go. And every time one is dismissed, it's getting closer and closer to Achan. And every time, Achan has an opportunity to stop the whole thing and he doesn't do it. And finally, they come to the house of Achan and God says, that's him. It's curious, we're not told exactly how they did this. We could speculate, but that wouldn't do us any good. But the fact of the matter is, God revealed it. And so when it got to Achan... They knew, this is the guy. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Achan, you can't hide it. You've been found out. Confess it. And so he does. And I can't help but think that a lot of times you and I, when we sit, we read the Bible or we listen to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, we begin to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And at first, it's like it's in broad terms, you know? Like you begin to just get this sense that the Lord is trying to talk to you about something in your life that's not right, but it's kind of general and specific. But then there's something that comes to your mind, and don't answer this question, but have you ever thought to yourself, boy, I hope he doesn't mention this. You know what that is? That's you trying to bury it under the floor of the tent. And the fact that it came to your mind is proof that you already know that it's wrong and you should deal with it. And the preacher keeps going along, and maybe he started generally and generically, but now he's starting to get a little more specific about some areas of sin. And it just so happens to be that's an area of sin you're struggling with. And you're sitting there like Achan thinking, okay, that was a lucky guess. 
No way he's going to get any closer than that. And you know what we do many times? We wait for the preacher or the teacher of the Bible to happen upon our specific sin before we'll confess it. We do what Achan did in those first three steps. Though God has given us opportunity to go ahead and repent. You know what it is. Go ahead and repent of it. No, we say, okay, well, if he mentions that, I'll deal with it. But until then, we hide it. Don't wait for the preacher to mention your specific sin. As soon as the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind, that's when you need to deal with it. Look, I have been preaching for a little while. And I don't mean just tonight, okay? I've literally preached hundreds and now thousands of sermons. And I can tell you this, the likelihood of me mentioning the specific sin or sins you're dealing with tonight is very low. And if that's what you are waiting for to get right with God, you're aching in Judges 7, 17. God's giving you opportunities, but are you taking them? He didn't. He didn't take the opportunity to repent and confess. And so you know what happened? He endured the penalty. Number three, Achan's penalty. They sent messengers, verse 22, they ran to the tent. Behold, it was hid in the tent, the silver under it, and they took it and they brought it out. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the gold and the, we- the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after he had, they had stoned them with stones. I'm just going to ask one question here. Was it worth it for Achan? Was it worth it to take that money and those clothes? That apparently he thought it was, at the time, worth it to break God's law and do what God clearly said not to do. Did Achan regret what he did? I believe he did. But he didn't repent. And there's a huge difference between regret and repentance. So he paid the penalty for his sin. And not only him. His sons. Do you think if when he was in Jericho and he came across those clothes and that money... That if somebody had stood right there and said, Achan, you can take that. It'll only cost you your sons and your daughters and your very life. Do you think for a moment that Achan would have said, oh, that sounds like a great deal. I'll take this. I'll hide it in my tent. I'll never get to enjoy it. I'll never get to wear it. I'll never get to show it off. And then I'll die. That sounds like a great deal. No. No way he would have done that. See, that's what Satan does. He never tells you the consequences of your sin up front. He just flashes before your eyes the temporary pleasures that it might bring. Because if you knew what it would really cost, there's no way you would, really, you would ever do it. Now he can pay the penalty. Because you can't hide it. 
He thought he could. But God said, be sure your sin will find you out. And it did. Now turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In this passage that is about the Lord's Supper, there is a very strong warning. One of the strongest warnings in all of Scripture. And and I can tell you this in all sincerity as a pastor, this, this passage troubles me. And I'll tell you why. Because I know that every time I stand before you as a congregation and I lead our church in observing the Lord's Supper, that there is potential danger for some. Look at verse 27. Actually, verse 26 we'll start with. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that cup, bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now look at verse 30. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, that is, have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Folks, this is a very serious warning tonight. I'm not trying to dramatize anything. I simply want to look at this straight from the Scripture to see what God has said. God says that those who approach the Lord's Supper and partake of it in an unworthy manner, that's what the word unworthily means, in an unworthy manner, they are guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And so we need to examine ourselves to make sure we're not partaking in an unworthy manner. Because, and it's repeated in verse 29, if we eat and drink unworthily, we're eating and drinking damnation to ourselves. Why? Because we're not discerning the Lord's body. And verse 30 says, here is what the penalty is. There are some who are sick and some who have died. And the Holy Spirit says, not Pastor Chambers says, the Holy Spirit says it's because they did not take Jesus' sacrifice seriously. That ought to make us sit up and pay attention. I have no idea and I am not even going to speculate. I'm not even going to go there as the expression goes. I have no idea who that I've known over the years has gotten sick or died because they did not have a right attitude about Christ's sacrifice, and especially as they observe the Lord's Supper. I don't know. I'm not even going to try and make that judgment. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to proclaim to you the truth of the Word of God. 
that tonight, as we observe the Lord's Supper, if you do so in an unworthy manner, not discerning the Lord's body, not appreciating the significance of His sacrifice, you are endangering yourself of the judgment and the chastening of God. Physical sickness, even to the point of physical death. Now, what I want to show you here is that the same three parts in Achan's story are found here. First of all, there's the iniquity that it talks about. That is, eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And that's talking about the attitude that we approach the Lord's Supper. What are we doing when we have the Lord's Supper? We are remembering the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could be saved, not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. And this is a time where we remember what Jesus went through for that. We remember His body that was broken so horribly. We remember His blood that was shed for us and that enters us into a new covenant and that washes away our sin. We remember all that Christ has done for us. But if we have a flippant attitude about that, no big deal. We're in danger. We are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, it says in verse 27. Why? Because we're not discerning the Lord's body. And in particular, when we approach the Lord's Supper, now is the time to get serious with God about sin in our life. Now is an opportunity like Achan had, where God is narrowing things down in your life, and He's bringing your focus to Him and the sacrifice of Jesus, to saying to you, if there is anything in your life, any sin that Christ died for, that you are not confessing, that you have not dealt with, now is the time to do it. But if you refuse, and you say, nah, it's not that big of a deal, and you Observe the Lord's Supper anyway. You are eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. You're not discerning the Lord's body. You're guilty. That's iniquity. And be sure your sin will find you out. There's also the opportunity here. Notice what it says in verse number 28. But let a man examine himself. God says pause for a moment. Take a moment. Take, a, take the opportunity to do inventory of your life. And make sure that your heart is right with God. So, so many times we just go through our days not even thinking about it. We just do our thing without stopping to really examine ourselves. The word here is to scrutinize something. You ever seen a, maybe a collector of coins? You ever seen them before? They'll get a new coin and I don't know what it is. I think to be a coin collector, uh, like in order to like be a member of that club, you have to carry a magnifying glass with you at all times. And a coin collector finds this new coin. Maybe they're thinking about buying it, and they pull out these special magnifying gla uh, glasses that they have, you know. And they'll put that thing on there, and, I mean, they'll, they'll just sit there for 10 minutes like this. You think they've fallen asleep, but no, they're... You know what they're doing? They're examining it. They're scrutinizing it. Is this genuine? Is this real? What is the quality of it? What are these marks on here? So on and so forth. Folks, we need to do that to our lives regularly, but certainly before we come before the Lord's Supper. We don't just walk in here with a flippant attitude. Yeah, okay, let's do the Lord's Supper. No. Let a man examine himself. Here's the opportunity. 
As it says here, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged of God. God gives us a chance to step up and say, I confess, Lord, I've done this. Lord, I'm repenting of this. Lord, I, this isn't right. I sinned in this way. It's an opportunity for us to get right with God. And you don't need the preacher to pinpoint your particular sin. Because you have the Holy Spirit that's already doing it. He's bringing it to your mind. Even as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is bringing before your mind's eye the things that you know aren't right, that you've been trying to hide, and you think nobody else knows, and maybe nobody else does know, but God knows, and it's not right, and you need to deal with it. There's the opportunity. And if we don't take the opportunity, there's the penalty. Notice, again, for this cause, verse 30, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. If you knew that you would die tomorrow unless you confessed that sin tonight, would you do it? I, I think most people, if they're honest, would say, well, if you put it in those terms, yeah. All right, let me take it a step farther. If you knew that one of your loved ones, your wife, or one of your children, would, would die unless you confessed that sin. Would you do it? I don't think there's a person in here that would say, no, nope, I'm going to keep sinning. I think everybody in here would say, well, if you put it in those terms, yes, absolutely, then no question about it. I don't want, I don't want my children, I don't want my wife to die for my sin. I don't want to be like Achan. It's not worth it. But here is the problem. When you and I choose to sin, and when we refuse to confess our sin, you know what we are doing? The Bible says in Hebrews 6 and verse number 6, it's like we're killing Jesus all over again. It says you are crucifying Him afresh. If you knew your wife was going to die, sir, you'd confess that sin right now. Ma'am, if you knew your child was going to die for your sin, you would get it right with God this very instant. But you don't have any more love or respect for the Son of God than you do for your wife or your child. You won't stop right now and confess your sin because Jesus died on the cross for you. Folks, that is idolatry. It is putting another love in front of God. There is an opportunity tonight to get right. But will you take it? 